Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. The reason we're doing our service a little different order-wise today and wanted to make a little more space uh, up front so that at the end we can focus on prayer and worship is because we have a guest speaker today named Tim Enlow, and I've actually just met Tim in person for the first time today, but we've been speaking uh, leading up to this, and it turns out uh, Tim and I have about 10,000 mutual friends. Like, there's so many uh, friends that we both know, uh, including some of my family members up and around Pennsylvania. Part of that is also because uh, they are Assemblies of God ministers, which is who I'm ordained with as well, and it's who our church is affiliated with. And the joke in the Assemblies of God is it's a little bit inbred, so everybody knows everybody. It's not really true. It's, it's actually just beautiful connection in the kingdom of God. But uh, Tim is awesome, and, he, and his wife, Rochelle, is here too. And he'll share a little bit about him in a moment, but we're in this series, Navigating Relationships. And today, he's gonna talk about embracing the Holy Spirit. And what we're talking about is relationship with the Holy Spirit. And for those that are here regularly and call this home, you know that we've been in the middle of what we just really feel is like a divine altar call from the Lord, an invitation to just draw near to the Lord like we never have before. And God's been just doing amazing things in people's lives. I'm talking miracles and setting people free. And and God's been teaching me, and I just have so much anticipation in my heart about uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so I didn't even officially book Tim to come be here. Months ago, a mutual friend of ours kind of worked on setting this up. And and now I see it as such divine providence that he's here to share this today. So uh, can we clap our hands and make wel- make welcome Tim as he comes on up. Thank you for being here, Tim. Hey, good morning. Isn't it good to be in God's house together today? Yeah. Um, we are so excited. Thanks, man. We are so excited about what God has in store for us, and it's just a joy to be with you. Um, we're thoroughly thankful to be uh, in God's plan and in God's will. Anybody excited about what God has for you? You get to walk in the footsteps he lays before you, which are always better than the harebrained ideas we cook up for ourselves. Um, I want you to have the opportunity to meet my favorite person on planet Earth, my wife, Rochelle. She's not only in torso form on the screen, but honey, right over here, would you give a wave real quick? We have had the privilege of uh, this year, this past year, we celebrated our 30th year of marriage and 30th year anniversary of traveling, teaching on the Holy Spirit every week. For the last three decades, we've been in a different city somewhere on planet Earth, over 75 nations now, I think it is. But um, and we're so thankful uh, to be able to have raised our family. Um, God has been so gracious to us. We have three adult sons. You can see them up there. On the top left is our oldest son, Braden, and his wife, Olivia, and they are in church ministry in Ohio. And on the right is our middle son, Dolan, and his wife, Isabel, and they're both pastors on staff at the same church uh, outside of Austin, Texas. And then in the middle is our youngest guy, Barrett, and he's in his final year of studying music production at SAGU, which is Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Huxamaguchi, Texas, or something like that. And, uh, and he's actually also deeply involved in the church that he serves at and leading worship today. And so that's our crew. Slowly, um, one by one, these other women begin to steal our sons. And so about four years now, we've been empty nesters, and it's just Rochelle and I and our incredibly pathetic, blind, deaf, one-toothed, incontinent Yorkie. It is, he is so pathetic. And uh, so, 
Anyway, that's, that's us, not that you care, but it's just a, a joy to be with you. And if I could ask you a big ask, would you consider praying for our family? Um, as you go out on the ministry table, we have some of our prayer cards, and you can take us home with you. And even if you don't like us, pray for us. It will build your character. But like I said, every week we're in a different place. Um, this next week, we're in Indiana. And how many know you need Jesus to have to go to Indiana, right? And so, um, and I forget where we're at. In the next, I think we're in Montana before the end of the... Anyway, we're just all over the place. Usually a, a typical year for us is about 30 states, and depending on the schedule, five to 10 nations overseas. This last year we were in um, Africa a couple times, East Africa, we were in Europe. Oh, man, we had a great move of God in, in, in Amsterdam. We were in Reunion Island. If you know, I didn't know where that was until they called us. If you go to Madagascar and then you get on a boat and you go 500 miles in the Indian Ocean, place called Reunion Island, and we had such a move of God there for a couple of weeks. After you'd give the open-air crusades, after you give the salvation appeal, even 10 minutes after that started, there would still be just throngs of people coming forward to get saved. It was unbelievable. And if you want to pray for us, um, this next year, our first major overseas trip will be in East Africa again, Tanzania, Kenya. And then uh, we end the year with what will probably be the largest scale open-air gospel crusade we've ever done in the world's largest Muslim nation in Indonesia. And if you'll keep us in prayer, we really, really appreciate it. Um, there are also, there are some books and other resources. Never make a big deal about them, but they'll be an encouragement in your life. Um, there's a resource that we did when our boys were just little because we really wanted our kids to grow up with the things and the power of the Holy Spirit to be natural and second nature for them. And so we put this material together that's in this kid power book, and God graciously came and filled all of our kids with the Holy Spirit at a young age. And um, I think it will be a blessing in your life for your elementary age kids or grandkids. And then people always ask, what's the newest one? It's this one, Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove. And it's designed to uh, help move you from a place where you believe in your fears more than you believe in the Holy Spirit's ability to empower you through them. And not just fears like I'm afraid of clowns or whatever, which who isn't? But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's like I want to do more for the Lord, but I don't because of fill-in-the-blank fear. I feel unqualified, under-resourced, etc. And it's a lot of fun. It will really be a blessing in your life. And for those that go, I don't like to read, but I like to listen or watch, Rochelle has these back there. These are Holy Spirit digital teaching libraries. It's got a flip-out USB on it. And on this is like 30 hours of stuff on the Holy Spirit. It goes through, it's all the teaching series we've done over the years, audio and video. There's stuff on every gift of the Spirit. There's stuff on personality of the spirit. There's, um, there's a series in here on prayer um, where actually we're going to Indonesia again this next year, where in 2004, our youngest son, the tall guy, Barrett, was briefly abducted there, and God miraculously brought him back to us safe and unharmed. We're so grateful. But I share that story as we kind of walk through what prayer looks like. Super helpful. So take advantage of that stuff should it interest you. And there's a special price if you want to get the whole shoot and match, all the books and one of those cards. And all those proceeds go to help get rid of us far away, send us overseas. So if you really want to get rid of us, that's a good way to do it. Well, our theme this morning is all about embracing the Holy Spirit. And so I've got to ask, how many of you are huggers? Okay. How many of you are more like you keep your greasy, filthy armpits to yourself, you know? <laughs> I mean, doesn't it kind of depend on who it is, you know? Um, like, if you see your neighbor across the fence, you know, you kind of wave at them, and you're not saying, you know, it is the joy of my life living next door to you. You're just basically saying, 
I don't want you to think I'm rude, but I don't care enough to stop what I'm doing and come and really talk to you, kind of a thing, you know? But probably there's no scenario where um, it is more evident of the spectrum of reception posture than maybe like an extended family dinner. Because you probably, with a bigger group, you probably have certain relatives that you're really excited about seeing and others not so much. Like everybody has that one uncle that doesn't believe in deodorant or whatever it is, and you just kind of make sure there's always a piece of furniture between you and them because, you know, you can't scrub the stink off afterwards. But it's just, it's just kind of that way. And, and when I think of kind of, aside from my, my wife and kids and parents and stuff, when I think about a warm, no-holds-barred embrace, I always think of like the premier hugger in my life outside of my folks and family was always my grandma Enlo, my dad's mom. She just, she was kind of Southern homespun, kind of Southern Illinois, and kind of every sentence began with, you know, hun, and it wasn't a drawl as much as it was a whine, like she was trying to get the motor to speak cranked up, and she always had an apron on, all my childhood memories and teenage memories, she had an apron on because she was cooking something, and uh, she, she, her main goal in life was to clog the arteries of those she loved with fat and carbohydrates and cholesterol. She was always cooking something, and when you would open up their house there in Wood River, Illinois, just across the river from, from St. Louis, yeah, you could see the kitchen from the front door, real small house, and she would just turn and look, and she'd wipe her hands with a hand towel, and she'd just put her arms out, and she'd turn her face and close her eyes, and you knew what that meant, just come and get it, you know? And, and when, when she would hug you, because she was so supportive and so 100% on your side, always getting cards in the mail, I love you, I'm praying for you, God's got something, you know, great. just always for you, how can I pray for you? You know, you're going to make it, and, you know, and when she would hug you, you never wondered about her ulterior motive. Like you weren't concerned that she was trying to get her arms around you to pickpocket you or something like that, you know? Because it seems like a lot of the relationships we have today kind of tend to be a little more transactional. And when people don't feel like, you know, they give you what they want, then they kind of walk away. And, and, but this was just like no holds barred. And when, when you would embrace her, um, you would just sink in and you kind of felt your problems melt away. It's like comfort food, you know. I can help you kind of imagine. Just close your eyes for a moment, if you would. And would you conjure up in your memory the very best fried chicken that you've ever eaten in all of your life? Not that greasy stuff, not the stuff that's bland, but the stuff that's just perfect. I mean, it even had a little sizzle, a little cayenne in it, just a little sizzle in it. And, and, and then on top of that now, in your memory, reach out with your dominant hand and grab a hold of that oven door handle that's almost too hot to touch. Open it up and you get blasted in the face with intense heat that's mingled with sugary, buttery, cinnamony apple cobbler. I mean, so good. And the sour apples, you know, that sliced by grandma hands. And, and then on top of those flavor and sensory memories, just spray in a thin note of Aquanet hairspray because that's what it smelled like when you get right in there for a hug, you know. Well, this is kind of what Jesus was doing with the disciples. He was trying to move them from kind of a mere intellectual assent about the Holy Spirit into a warm, trusting embrace and dependence. And he was trying to do this in a concentrated time over the Last Supper discourse, somewhere between the, the hot dogs and the cheesecake. He was trying to move them into this place where they would trust in the Holy Spirit the same way they had trusted in Jesus. And for a lot of us, the things of the Holy Spirit seem kind of vague and fuzzy, you know? 
We have seemingly no problem putting our trust in Jesus. After all, you know, we all have paintings of him. And how many of you are grateful that during that limited three, three and a half year time frame that he walked on the earth, he had the foresight to sit for all of those Northern European artists to paint him, where he looks like a jaundiced Scandinavian, you know? And um, we can identify with the person of the father because we have all had a father and we can identify with that. But when it comes to the things of the spirit, we don't really know what to do because there's that one moment in biblical history when he took on human form, human form, uh, physical form, I should say, like a dove, and he descended upon Jesus at his baptism. But the Holy Spirit is certainly not a dove, you know, and we don't know what to do with him. We don't associate with holy, meaning perfect, and we don't associate with spirit, meaning invisible. And that kind of gets very difficult. Now, I'm an Eagles fan, so it was very close to associating with perfect this year. But that weird game with the Jets, what's up with that anyway? All right. But um, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we don't associate with this and we don't know what to do. So often we begin to believe what other people say about the Holy Spirit or the weird press. Maybe somebody forwarded you a YouTube video about some Holy Spirit thing where people were getting tased and running around like chickens with their head cut off and... You know, for whatever reason, we believe the strange things rather than the things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. How many think we should believe the words of Jesus over the words of anybody else? So in this Last Supper discourse, in this three-chapter portion, John 14, 15, and 16, the lion's share of what he talked about was the Holy Spirit, almost all of chapter 14, and the lion's share of chapter 16, and a sprinkling in 15. And he's trying to move the disciples from that distant wave over the fence, hey, I know there's a Holy Spirit. I mean, he's mentioned the second verse of the Bible, Jesus had talked about him, etc. But he's trying to move them from that distant wave into a warm, trusting, no-holds-barred embrace because Jesus was getting ready to leave. In fact, later on that night after the teaching, he'd go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray and where he would be arrested. And then his night trial, which was illegal by Jewish tradition, just to kind of expedite things. And the next day crucified, all day Saturday in the tomb, Easter Sunday, rise from the dead. And then after that, just a period of about 40 days where he would make cameos with them and before he would ascend to heaven. And he drops the bomb on them at this last supper, though he had kind of mentioned it before, I'm getting ready to go away. But in John 14, he says, I'm getting ready to go away, but I'm not leaving you as orphans with no one to care for you, no one to help you. I'm going to send another one just like me who's going to take you the rest of the way. Jesus had been their divine mentor. He had, this was kind of a normal common practice uh, from the time of maybe two or 300 years before the time of Jesus. They didn't really have formal university. I mean, they did have theological training that was different. But kind of the way village elders and leaders were raised up is the local rabbi of the community, which was kind of the rabbi just means teacher. Um, he would kind of lead the branch office, you know, micro temple in the, in the regions for those that couldn't make the pilgrimages to Jerusalem on a weekly basis, you know. And, and that rabbi would look and they would find the best and brightest young sharp people and they would invite them into a mentoring relationship because kind of the way culture has been... Uh, uh, sustained and in and a, and a good level is through people that kind of know what they're doing, helping people that don't know what they're doing, but with potential. You know, maybe you've had some good mentors in your life. And so 
the rabbi would look, and they would kind of look over the community, and they'd see the best and brightest. Hey, that Jones boy, he's got something, you know, something potential. And the rabbi would invite them into this mentoring relationship with the common invitation, kind of no frills, follow me. It was an invitation from the rabbi for the best and brightest. It's kind of what Jesus did, isn't it? And except Jesus kind of turned it on its ear because Jesus wasn't an official rabbi, you know, although he was a lot more official than any of the other rabbis, you know, but in, within the world system. And then Jesus also kind of turned it on its ear because he picked the worst. You ever notice that? He picked the least qualified, the hothead fisherman, you know, the zealot, which is like a political subserve, uh, subversive, and he, you know, the cheat and tax collector and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is kind of what Jesus did. And he's still doing it. Just look around you, you know. Um, and so Jesus invites these disciples into this mentoring relationship. And then about Luke 9, they graduate, which was the normal procedure where then the rabbi would send out the disciples, the students, to go and, and live life and do it. And that's what Jesus did. But Jesus still stayed with them. And now he announces to them, I'm going away. And even Peter would say to Jesus things like, where else are we going to turn? You have the very words of life. You know, he had imparted into them, and he had changed their worldview and brought them in a relationship with God, and now he drops this bomb. I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. In this portion, John 14, 15, and 16, there's so much truth packed in this very short segment, and we're not going to read it all together today, but I do have a homework assignment for you. Everybody say John 14, 15, 16. That's your homework assignment, all right? And I want to challenge you this week to sit down and read it in one sitting. And if you don't, reading is difficult or you don't have time, um, open up the YouVersion Bible app and just hit John 14 and hit play, and it will read it to you while you're foaming at the mouth, brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing in the morning. And just let the Word of God get in your heart. It will highlight the major themes that I'm going to show you here in a second, but also the Holy Spirit will highlight to you a bunch of Easter eggs that are personalized to right where you're at and will really discover how to depend on the Holy Spirit for some new assistance. So would you do me a favor? In honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stand with me to your feet? And we're going to read some portions, certainly not the whole thing, but just kind of a flyover where we can kind of capture the essence, a little from John 14, a little from John 15, a little from John 16. And I want to invite you, if you would, to read out loud with me the Word of God. Get it in your eyes. Get it in your brain. Get it in your mouth. Let it backfeed in your ears, your voice, and the voice of our faith community. How many of you would wave a hand saying the Word of God has changed your life? So let's give it the highest place of importance and focus. So how about a corporate clearing of the throat? little hairball over there. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's read together. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. But I will send you the advocate, the Spirit of truth, he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. 
But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray today that your word would change our minds and change our thinking and focus our GPS coordinates on really what we're pursuing in life. It's just so easy to blindly follow everybody else around us, but you've invited us to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that your voice would become more clear to us through your Holy Spirit's ministry today. And Jesus, following your pattern of ministry on the earth, you always taught about the kingdom of heaven and, and healed the sick. And I welcome your healing ministry and anointing. Just begin to fall upon this room right now. I pray, God, for anyone that's battling with pain in their bodies, that they just feel your peace and grace coming upon them, even right now, not just removing the symptom of pain, but healing the underlying condition, no matter how impossible that may be. I welcome you, Lord Jesus. Just touch us today. Would you personalize your word to our heart, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. So in kind of looking at this, there's a lot that's going on, a lot of detail that you'll pick up when, when you read it this week. But I just want to kind of hit the five major truths that Jesus brings to bear. He's trying to move the disciples and in turn us from this kind of distant wave, you know, or guarded response, trying to move us from that into this warm embrace, this trusting embrace. If you can think in your life, and maybe you're a hugger and you just give yourself like this, but when you think about that warm embrace, there's no... Uh, defenses involved. There's maximum contact, you know. It's not like this, you know, distant, you know, touch an elbow like the COVID thing or whatever. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I really want to, you know, give myself in this moment to making connection with you and, and this trusting thing. And this is what Jesus is trying to do. And maybe we could go on that journey today by looking at these, these five truths. The first is simply this, that the Holy Spirit is divine. And make no mistake, when we say divine, we are indeed saying the Holy Spirit is God. And this kind of raises up the question on how is God made up? You know, as Christians, how many gods do we worship? One, right? We worship the creator God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the most important fact about how God is comprised or made up that we need to know is that he's one God. But the Bible also hammers this point all the way through the scriptures. The book of Genesis, Isaiah is big on this in the Old Testament. Then we get in the New Testament and we see this just replete in every gospel and almost every one of Paul's epistles, all through the book of Acts and the book of Revelation, that even though God is one being, that he has forever revealed himself to us in the three distinct persons of the Godhead or Trinity within the one being of God. And some people kind of, their record skips because they go, wait a minute, Godhead and Trinity, those aren't words in the Bible. They're theological labels that have been invented to describe this. 
Um, and for example, the author of our scriptures here this morning, the Apostle John, remember him? So John wrote the Gospel of John, three epistles, one, two, three, John, and then the book of Revelation. The third most prolific author in the New Testament after Luke and Paul. I mean, you know, best friend of Jesus. I mean, you know, big deal. John makes over 50, five zero references to Trinity in that the Holy Spirit is equal with Jesus and the Father. Sometimes they are really obvious, like the baptism of Jesus. That's a big one. And sometimes they're a little more oblique, like the ones I have on the screen. But check this out. He's, Jesus says, I, Jesus, will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Or the Father sends the advocate, the Spirit, as my Jesus' representative. You feel the, this unity and cooperation in the Godhead here. But let's just focus for a moment on that top verse, the bottom line there, another advocate. So this is interesting. You don't need to understand Koine Greek to be able to understand the scriptures. We have great English translations. This is using NLT today. Great. There's a lot of them. Um, but it's interesting because the Koine Greek, the Bible is not an English book. It's translated into English, right? And so sometimes we kind of miss a little nuance that's there because uh, English is one of the sloppier languages there is. And so here in the Koine Greek, the, the another is another of an identical kind, allos. For example, you go, here's a, a brownish chair. Here's an identical, another of the same kind, brownish chair. Here's another one. How many are sitting in a brownish chair right now? You know, so that's kind of the... Um, and because they're designed to be uniform, and they're another of the identical kind. They probably have very small differences, but they're designed to be identical. That's allos. Like if you're describing a fruit basket, it's all fruit, but they're all different. You'd use the Greek word heteros, another of a different kind. Here's a banana. Here's an apple. It's all fruit, but it's different. So Jesus is saying another of the same kind or just like me, Jesus is saying. And then we have the word here, advocate. Uh, English translations translate this word parakletos differently. Uh, I was kind of raised on the King James Version, which is kind of a lofty Shakespearean kind of translation. And it uses the word comforter which probably in the 1600s was actually a pretty good definition, but, you know, words change meaning. When you think of comforter, what's the first thing that pops in your head? A big warm blanket on a cold night or something like that, probably. And so this word, I think, for the way we currently use English, I think this advocate word is probably the best one-word translation for the Greek word parakletos. Para is the prefix. It means like parallel. Alongside is basically what it means. And then the root word is kaleo. It's to call out or summon, to plea for wise and specific counsel or mentoring. So, like, who do you call when you're in trouble? And don't say Ghostbusters. Uh, it depends on what it, probably YouTube is probably what it is, but doesn't it kind of depend on who it is? Like, if you need help cooking a meal, you're probably not going to call on me, um, even though a lot of people know this. I was trained in the culinary arts by the world-renowned Italian chef Sal Manila. But, um, you know, you're probably not going to, that's not what like a skill. I mean, like to twist wrenches, maybe I could help you change your brakes or something. But, you know, it depends on, on who it is, on what you're looking for. Jesus had been their wise mentor in everything in life. He had changed everything about their lives. And Jesus is saying, I'm getting ready to go away, and I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another one just like me to stand alongside you and be your mentor. The Holy Spirit is divine. We can trust him because he's God's personal spirit. He's, a lot of people think the Holy Spirit is somewhere, they think he's higher than an angel and maybe lower than Jesus, and they don't know what to do with him. 
But Jesus is trying to help us to embrace him. Then not only is the Holy Spirit divine, but the Holy Spirit is trustworthy. And this is kind of the central thread that's running through this. You probably noticed when we were reading, there's a lot of vouching language going on there. Like, hey, if you trust me, trust my Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The Father is sending the Holy Spirit. You can really trust him. He's going to lead you into truth. And it's like, it's all these statements that you need to know, like, like you're, maybe a friend is making a distant uh, connection for you. Or you ever try to introduce two friends? And they don't know each other, but you think they'll get along. You're like, hey, George, meet Frank. You guys don't know each other, but you got a lot in common. You know, you're both serial killers and, you know, whatever. You know, then you're, you're trying to introduce them, trying to find some common ground, right? And so Jesus is doing this. Now, notice what he says. He says, he, the Spirit, will teach you, which is the verb associated with the mentoring rabbi ministry, right? He will teach you, will teach in the future, how much? Everything. Everything you need to know. He's going to teach you in the future, and he will remind you of everything I have told you in the past. He's helping them know that, hey, this is a straight train tracks you've been on with me. And now as I leave you in the care of the Spirit, he's going to continue the ministry at the same pace and the same direction. There's no hard right or left turns. And he's going to continue everything that I've taught you and take you to new places that I didn't take you before I send to heaven. And that's really helpful for us because so many people are afraid that, you know, you can really trust Jesus, but man, that one Pentecost Sunday when we have that funky chicken line dance thing here up front and they dim the lights and turn the smoke on and have the Yanny music and people wake up in the drainage ditch in the church next week, you know, and wondering what happened to me and that kind of stuff. And it, it's just not true that Jesus never couches the Holy Spirit as spooky and strange and weird. Everything he says about the Holy Spirit is practical and helpful and Christ honoring in every way. And then Jesus says, if you can't trust this statement, who can you trust? Jesus says, I'm sending you the advocate, the paraclete, the alongside mentor. I'm this has always been the plan. It's not like there was some emergency and I had to go to some other galaxy to do something, you know. Um, but this has always been the plan. And uh, I'm sending you the advocate, and he is the spirit of what? Truth. Truth is something that's really squishy. It's kind of like a salad for us. You kind of go to the salad bar and you, well, I like a little Jesus, you know, and a little Buddha and a little, you know, and I, you know, I like to, I like crystals and I, you know, worship, you know, whatever. And then people kind of create their own salad of deity. But how many know Jesus alone is the son of God? And there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And this truth thing, people go, well, that's your truth. It's not my truth. But I've chosen to serve God as revealed through the ancient text of the Scripture rather than my subjective mind, which I've made a lot of bad decisions. Like, I'm the guy that said, ah, I, don't, I think those clams are okay, you know? And, uh, or, hey, that olive green crock pot at the church supper, that smells good. I mean, I've made dumb decisions in my life, you know? And so why would I trust my own subjective wisdom over God's ancient truth revealed through the Scripture that's just been proven time and time again through century and millennia to be true and life-altering for people in every positive way? So Jesus says, I'm sending you the advocate, and he is true. You can trust him. Jesus says you can trust the Holy Spirit. He will come to you from the Father. So not only is Jesus sending the Spirit, but the Father is sending the Holy Spirit. And if you know your church history... That lion there made St. Nicholas punch Arius. Remember that? If you don't know church history, okay, forget it. You have to look at Google it afterwards, right? Filioque, you can check it out. Um, but he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. 
Jesus is vouching for the Spirit, where he's coming from, what he wants to do. The Father saying, this is always the plan. And if the disciples were pled to trust the Spirit, how much more should we? And then number three, the Spirit is not only trustworthy, but he's recognizable. This one is really important, and I don't think very many Christians have fully grasped what this means. But Jesus says, this another one advocate just like me, he is the Holy Spirit, perfect Spirit, who leads into all truth, which kind of begs the question, can you really enter all truth as a human without the Holy Spirit's assistance? Then he goes on to say the world, which means the lost, people that aren't serving God, cannot receive him because they aren't looking for him and don't recognize him, but you can. So let's put some practical wheels on this. One of the central teachings of the Apostle Paul in his epistles, whether written to churches or individuals about the Spirit, is that the moment we get saved, how many of you are saved? You belong to Jesus. Put your faith in him, okay? And so the moment you get saved, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and he stays there. Your heart's not a revolving door where he, he's there when you're singing worship songs and he leaves when you're speeding or whatever it is or eating too much cholesterol. It's not like that. A lot of people kind of think their subjective feelings is an accurate gauge of the Holy Spirit's presence. But again, we have limited understanding, you know? And, and so some people think that the Holy Spirit's not there until you like woo him with worship songs or something like that. But that is just your awareness being recalibrated to the already present presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit could leave if you as a Christian decide to divorce Jesus. Please don't do that. But people go, well, why do I feel so badly about sin? When I sin as a Christian, well, because before you were saved, he was convincing you from the outside, but now he's doing that from the inner being inside, you know? And so this is super important. Let, let's, here's some practicality. How many of you today during our time of worship was so rich, uh, you sense God's presence? And we all know you can go through times where you don't feel God's presence because you're stressed or sick or tired or preoccupied, and that's no big deal. But if you sense God's presence, what you're technically sensing theologically is the Holy Spirit living inside of you is resonating with the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit's presence and manifestation around it. You are recognizing this is God, right? Now, when that happened today for you, was it a red flags, arms out, caution, warning, signal flags, sirens, guard dogs barking, where you're like, hey, wait, who is this? Who am I feeling? Can I see your identification card, please? License and registration, please. No, you immediately knew it was the Holy Spirit because he's lived inside of you. I've told our boys throughout the years, man, if you're walking with Jesus on any level, learn how to trust your gut spiritually. You know, and if you're not walking with Jesus, don't trust your gut. But if you're walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's there to help you. And, and this is so helpful because a lot of people think that, you know, the Holy Spirit's generally not there and then he comes when, you know, whatever. But this is not the way this is. Like some of you, you're the only believer in your home, or maybe you live or work with abject heathens, or you're the only Christian in your school or classroom, and you kind of feel like you come to church and you get your, you know, your sails filled up with, with air again, you're ready to go, and then you kind of take a deep breath and you go back in the dark environment for the week or whatever it is. But that's exactly the opposite of the spiritual reality. You are bringing the Holy Spirit to bear in those places wherever you go. You are his temple. There's no need for a building in Jerusalem anymore. It's obsolete. Now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you bring him wherever you go. 
that was a great spot to say amen or I'll drink to that or whatever you say. No, it's too late now. You missed it. All right. So he's recognizable. Number four, the Holy Spirit is revelatory. That means he reveals things. And every verb about the Holy Spirit in this passage, John 14 through 16, every verb about the Holy Spirit is revelatory. Teach, lead, guide, reveal, make known, tell. He wants to speak to us. And some people, again, right away, because they're distrusting of the Spirit and distrusting of what Jesus said about the Spirit, they go, what if he leads you outside of the Word of God? Well, then it wasn't him. In fact, Peter, the apostle, said in his second epistle, chapter 1, verse 21, that the Holy Spirit actually wrote the Bible. He's the one that moved upon holy men of old to write the Scriptures. So there's no contradiction there. And that's why, of course, you need to know the Word of God, too. But He leads you. Jesus says, I need to tell you so much more, but you're not ready for it yet. Your dough hasn't risen enough yet. And, but when the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. And then He gives this curious line. He will not speak on His own or His own initiative, but He will tell you what He has heard. Pretty curious. And then He goes on, almost like not giving any amplification. He'll tell you about the future and that's not like lotto numbers and stock picks and futures and things like that. That is simply on the small scale. How many of you, even though I'm putting you on the spot, you can think of a time in life when God has guided and directed you and helped you to make a right decision that kind of changed the future a little bit for you. And the longer you serve the Lord, the more second nature, which is a very good thing that becomes, you just kind of depend on him. That's the, like the small things. And then the big things. Um, I don't think any of us have been to heaven, but and most of what people think about heaven is actually not biblical. You don't take harp lessons and sprout wings and grow long blonde hair and whatever. But uh, very limited data on heaven in the scriptures, honestly. Very few pictures on TripAdvisor, though the reviews are good. Um, but when, how many of you literally have staked your hope in future that God has indeed prepared a place for you and it's not wishful thinking because there's spiritual revelation inside of you, right? That's from the Holy Spirit. You are hearing him. But the thing is, this revelation comes to the extent that you welcome him. Holy Spirit's work is very invitational in Scripture, and he will come to as many of your parties as you invite him to. A lot of times people view the Holy Spirit revelation and help and guidance only as in case of emergency, break glass, grab dove kind of a thing. Last possible solution, you know? But why not invite him to everything in life? Why not invite him to the things you already feel competent in? He will elevate those things as well. And through that relational process, you'll grow to learn and depend upon him in greater ways. He's revelatory. Look at that weird line again. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. I mean, the questions that raise is he's not an authentic voice. He's just a repeater. Is he a plagiarist? Is he a Milli Vanilli? You know, I mean, what in the world, right? We'll go to this final one. This is where Jesus resolves it. So this is the next scripture. I'll go to number five, please. So right after he'll tell you about the future, this is the next line. He will bring me, Jesus, glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. He doesn't speak on his own initiative. He only speaks what Jesus sends him to speak. Now, listen to this statement because it may or may not have floated across your mind before, but it changes your view of the Spirit's ministry and your reception posture of Him. Whenever you hear the Holy Spirit's voice leading guidance in your life, technically, theologically, what you're actually hearing is Jesus speaking to you and the Holy Spirit communicating that to you. 
Can you see how someone that just as they believe some folklore story about somebody getting zapped at church and getting abducted by the Holy Spirit and never seen again and, you know, whatever, this kind of story, something weird. Oh, he made me scream out in some foreign language at the, by the rutabagas in Walmart or whatever it was and all these stories. Living by that kind of a fear is like sticking your fingers in your ears to the voice of Jesus because this is his chosen communication system. And then check out this last verse. I love this verse. Pay attention to the characters here. All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus said. So the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. You have some characters there. You have the three distinct persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the being of God. And then you have you and I at the end. Do you see that? All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus says, like the Father passes something to Jesus. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine, and he will make it known to you. And for Christians that functionally don't have a trinity in their understanding of God, they just have a two persons in their trinity, God the Father and God the Son, um, they don't tend to hear from God very well because this is the stated communication system. Everything the Spirit does is Jesus-focused. Some people say, well, you know, we normally talk about Jesus here at Graceland, right? But this week, it's a detour, because in our relationship series, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're kind of kind of going the thrilling back bumpy road that one hill where you lose your stomach. But then we're going to get back on the highway. It's, Holy Spirit is not a detour around Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the fast lane on the Jesus superhighway. He wants to reveal everything Christ has. His favorite subject is Jesus. All he does is magnify Jesus. He speaks the word of Jesus. He empowers us to do the ministry of Jesus. Everything he does is super Jesus-focused. And why in the world would we believe our fears and concerns just because maybe he feels vague? Some people go, well, I'm not a touchy-feely person. Well, I don't think the fishermen disciples were either. I mean, maybe that's a stereotype, but some people go, well, you know, I'm not that person. Like, we all know every church has a couple of those people that they come pre-caffeinated for worship. They bring in their own carrying bag with their ribbon, worship ribbons on a stick, you know, and they bring their worship unitard, you know, and they're ready. Very first song, they're whoo, down the aisle, cartwheels, and, and you're like, oh, Jesus, I hope there's no visitors here today, kind of a thing. And, but a lot of people just kind of immediately, in a blanket sense, dismiss themselves from being a person that can hear and understand the Spirit. But whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, He's already been at work in your life. Before you were saved, we read it earlier, John 16, 8, when you were still lost, he was convincing you of your sin and your need for Jesus. And then when you got saved, he came to live inside of you. He helps you experience the presence of God. He changes your appetites. He changes your character and morality with the, the purifying work. He, he empowers you to do the mission of Jesus. And why not recognize him and warmly embrace him rather than sneaking around the edges and kind of giving him that distant wave? Has anybody ever told you to go fly a kite? That's what you're thinking about me right now, aren't you? Get, get lost. Uh, but, you know, flying a kite's my favorite metaphor for kind of opening up to the Holy Spirit. How many have actually flown a kite? You've held the string before in your hand? Uh, I have one of my dear personal friends. He's retired now. Uh, but he was the founding psychiatry professor at Pepperdine University. He's a strange mix. He's a psychiatrist, 
which is an MD and a psychologist, right? So it's a real it's a unique mixture. And he then founded the Psychology School at Evangel University, great, great guy. But he told me for years that he would, when dealing with people in his private clinical practice, dealing with um, at debilitating depression levels, aside from counseling and meds as needed, that he would prescribe to them to fly a kite two to three times, sometimes four times a week. It's kind of interesting. If you've flown a kite, it's kind of a weird thing. It it's, doesn't really have any organic purpose, kind of recreational, but there's this weird thing that happens, and it's proven by medical study that when you fly a kite, it releases dopamine. That's a happy chemical in your brain. You know? And it's just kind of interesting, and there's kind of a thrill, and there's kind of this invisible connection, and there's this, I don't know, it's very, very interesting, and, and you need to go fly a kite this afternoon. If you've flown a kite, what do you do first? You let out 10 or 15 feet of string, and then what do you do? You run, right? Because you have to create the air moving over the surface of the kite so it can achieve lift. So you're basically the wind generator, right? And you're running, and that kite is just beating on the ground like a figure eight, right? I mean, it's just sloppy and erratic. And you just kind of feel it. You kind of more or less, you kind of run in a different direction. And you just kind of experiment, and you see what kind of smooths out the kite's erratic activity. So it goes from kind of beating on the ground to dragging to all of a sudden it kind of smooths out like a figure eight, and then it kind of... And then just when things are right, it just kind of... It just sticks. And the moment it achieves lift, you can stand stationary with that amount of string, and that kite will fly. It's the craziest thing. And because there's a dopamine release, the more string you let out, typically the increased level of happy juice begins to flow. But probably most of us have some concerns or fears. They kind of range on a spectrum, concern being the mildest, fear being the most intense, of why we shouldn't max out the string. So, like, I'm getting old. I'm 52 now. Good night. That seems old. And, uh, but when I'm doing that, I think my biggest fear is, did I remember to tie the string to the handle, you know? memory thing. Um, or maybe less realistic, but maybe more on the fear side in the middle is what happens if it gets too high, the wind's too strong, and the string breaks? I mean, I've never had that happen. I guess it could. Maybe I just am a connoisseur of finer string. I don't know, but I've never seen it happen. But probably most unrealistic and most on the fear spectrum and most unlikely is what if I lose control and it gets dangerous or embarrassing? And let me just show you the maneuver. If you're ever flying a kite and, like, like you're afraid the wind blows and all of a sudden you don't let go and you get swept away to Missoula or something like that, um, here's the maneuver. Just file this away for safety protocol in the future. All you have to do is if you're flying a kite and it gets dangerous, watch this. Ready? You got it? Just open up your hand. Let it, let it go. But this is exactly the same with the Holy Spirit. The way we kind of get the kite in the air, our awareness of God's presence is just by drawing near and welcoming the Holy Spirit's favorite subject, Jesus. Anytime, wherever you're at, you're in your car, you're frustrated, you're tired, you're lonely, you got, you know, major stuff going on, just stop, drop, and pray for a few moments and just draw near to Jesus. And then once you begin to experience his presence, the way you let out more string, that's kind of becoming more vulnerable when you do that, is you become more vulnerable spiritually. Like, there's certain things you would only say to certain people. Like, you're not going to go to your mail carrier and look me in the eyes. I need you, you know? I mean, that's a great way to get a restraining order, right? You know? Um, this, but 
there are a handful of people in life that you'll look in the eyes and say, I need you, or I love you. Not, hey, I love you, man, but I love you. Sinking into that embrace. And a lot of people are uncomfortable in doing that because the things of the Spirit feel vague or else they're afraid they're breaking protocol. Wait a minute, aren't we normally supposed to pray to the Father? And, you know, I mean, yeah, general prayer is, but we have some examples in the Bible of people calling out to the Spirit on occasions. And at the end of the day, honestly, all the mail goes to the same mailbox. It's not like we're serving three gods anyway, right? I think people, we get too complex on those things. But I want to invite you, if you would, before we go today, to join me to fly a kite spiritually. Would you do that? Why don't you stand with me all over this room? Do me a favor first. Reach for the sky. Stretch out your carcass. As high as you can reach up. Okay, it's just a stretch. It's not spiritual. Now reach down as low as you can. So you can get your both palms flat on the floor and then put both feet straight up in the air over your head. Yeah, uh, me neither. All right. Now, come on. This is going to be a cold start. And if some of the worship team wants to come back up to play for us, I want to invite you just for a moment, even if you, I kind of like this cold start business. Would you just join me in maybe closing your eyes and just out loud, even if it's quietly, would you just begin to speak some good things about Jesus? Come on. Would you join me? Oh, Jesus, there's none like you. No one else, no one else but you, Lord. I trust you like I trust no one else. I trust you with my future. I trust you to deal with my past. Oh, and I need you in my present. Jesus, you are the son of God. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Come on, just lift his name with me together. Come on. Oh, I do. I honor you, Jesus. Yeah, there are just kites starting to fly all over this room. Oh, Jesus, thank you for allaying our fears and putting the kind of the guardrails around our fears about what may seem vague with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would continue your mentoring ministry and that you would speak to us the things you want to speak to us. So come on, would you just let out a little string with me? And would you just invite the Holy Spirit to speak the words of Jesus to you like he never has before? Come on, just send him some invitations, right? Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive me for neglecting you. Jesus is so clear that I'm supposed to trust you. So I, I just want you to know I trust you. And I want to hear everything you say. Would you take what is the master's and make it known to me? Now, come on, would you join me in just letting out a little more string? Maybe you do that by lifting a hand or raising your voice a decibel louder. Maybe you want to come stand at the altar in prayer or whatever. Come on, it's free. It's all right. We trust you. Come on, would you just open up a little bit more? Have you ever told the Holy Spirit that you need him? Have you ever confessed that before him? I do. I need you, Holy Spirit. I want to hear everything Jesus says. And he told me yours was the voice that would speak his words to me. So I need you even more than I've ever realized before. I need your wisdom. I need your help. I need your guidance. Spirit of the Lord. Come on, everything in your brain is saying, hurry up and get this over with because it feels too vague. And but everything in your spirit is just saying, I, I kind of really want to climb this mountain. Just for a moment, would you just allow your spirit desires to win right now inside? 
Come on, would you let out just a little more string with me? Would you think about what is one of your greatest needs or things that you or your loved ones are facing right now? And would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you the wisdom and mentoring of Jesus and how to navigate that thing? Come on, that's vulnerable, would you? Come on, lift it with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, you know what we're facing with family and transitions. And I just pray that you would just let me hear everything Jesus is saying. I don't want to miss one thing. God, for parents in this room that are know something is wrong or their kids are battling something and they just... I pray you give them such wisdom. God, give mom and dad wisdom in their own relationship with each other. God, for grandparents with wayward grandkids or kids, I just pray, God, you'd give them such wisdom from your Holy Spirit. I just want to enroll to be your disciple, your student, Holy Spirit. Would you be my rabbi? Would you teach me and mentor me? My default setting is to trust in myself, which... I've proven that to not be very successful. So would you help me to stop resisting you and start trusting in you more? Thank you. God, for some in this room that feels so overwhelmed by discouragement and depression, I pray right now that they would just begin to sense. I just see it in my spirit just opening up like a summer rain over them right now. And it's just washing the surfaces of their life right now. Thank you for it, God. Some that have felt abandoned, let them know that you're with them right now. Now, come on, our final act of just releasing. There's just a little more string on your handle. I want to ask you to do something intensely vulnerable. I want you to think about what is your deepest inner turmoil or conflict or embarrassment or secret or fear or struggle. Maybe it's an insecurity. I don't know. Maybe it's several things. Would you just grab a hold of one of those and would you invite the Holy Spirit to come and mentor you and help you in that? Come on. Even if it's whispers, oh, Spirit of God, in my deepest insecurity or fear or regret or pain or something that's happened to me, I invite you to come and mentor me. Give me your strength. I need your help right now. Oh, yeah, I need you, Holy Spirit things we face in this coming week. Come and give us your wisdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you've been battling with depression and overwhelming discouragement, I want to invite you. Would you just lift one hand really high? Boy, that seems super vulnerable. But this is the area of the Lord's presence where if you'll just reach out to him, he'll come and help you right now. Just lift it up really high. If you're standing by someone that has a hand up, would you just reach over and put your hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray for them right now? Lord Jesus, I just welcome your grace right now to flow. And any of our friends that are battling with depression or overwhelming discouragement, whatever the source, that we don't have that knowledge. But we welcome you, Lord Jesus. Would you just water their souls right now through the ministry of your Holy Spirit? Thank you for it, Lord. 
If you have pain in your body, would you just lift a hand right now to heaven? You're hurting right now somewhere in your body. Just reach it up. It doesn't matter if it's better or worse and more intense than someone else's pain. Just reach a hand up. If you're by someone that has a hand up, would you just reach over and put your hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them? Yeah, let them hear your words of love and concern. You're going to feel helpless, but that's why you're praying to Jesus who knows what he's doing. Jesus, we welcome you right now. I just hear you say, inflammation, go down in the name of Jesus. Feel the power of God just hot in my left knee right now. I command that meniscus to be knit together and healed and restored in the name of Jesus. No more bone on bone, like a catch sensation. Thank you, God. I feel God's power in my right shoulder. There's a rotator, two at least rotator cuffs being healed. And I'm only aware of the smallest fragment of the generosity of our healing Christ in this room. God, would you come even right now and, and heal bodies, Lord, of long-term debilitating issues, long-term pain conditions, Lord, autoimmune disorders. Oh, Jesus, do your best work right now. We trust in you. We welcome you, Spirit of the Lord. Come and take what is the Master's and make it known to us. Make it known to us. Yeah, just keep on reaching out to him right now. Keep on reaching out. Maybe there's someone in this room you've never given your life to Jesus. Jesus made it super clear there is only one way to get in a right relationship with God. There's no other plan. And today, if you say, I know I'm not living close to Jesus, but I want to, would you just wave a hand at me? If you're online, you can just pop a comment up. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah? Beautiful, beautiful. If you want to give your life to Jesus out of your own words, would you just whisper out to him right now that you need him to save you from your sin and that you're putting your trust in him? There's no memorized script. You're going to do just fine right now. And if you've already given your life to Jesus, would you just renew your commitment to him right now? Lord, this week, I want you to be front and center by your Holy Spirit's grace, I pray you would just sharpen my compass. True north is true north. Let me hear your voice and live for you. I want to be more like you, Jesus, in every way. The Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We can all be dismissed. Love you guys. Have a great day.